we made this. We haven't really talked about the fact that we've been going for over a year now. Yes. We keep vaguely mentioning it, but we've not, you know, we've not sat down to take stock in all of this. Celebrated, commiserated. Yeah. What were your favourite moments of the previous year that we've had? Uh... <laughs> 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 well, there was um, cool run-ins and Gus and Million Dollar Duck, but that was about it. I, I can't believe I've been doing a Disney podcast for a year. I mean, just to establish, I mean, I think it's pretty obvious at this point you've been listening, but Disney is the absolute opposite of a thing I'm into. <laughs> I'm you know, starting to think it's the same for me, actually. Yeah. Like, Pixar, it's all great. Yeah. But I just don't like Disney that much. Do you know what my favourite moments this year has been? What's that? Every time that you texted me to say, do you know what, shall we sack it off till next week? Yeah. <laughs> just, <laughs> just like a relief for another week, like, ah, I got away with it. It's when the pressure of, the, you know... Looms over you for the whole day, like, are we actually going to record tonight? And it's, suddenly, it's just lifted. Yes. <laughs> oh god. Oh yeah. I'll say. What lessons do you think you've learnt in our years tenure in this show? Um, I've learnt that when I take someone to a wrestling show, and they ask me to do, yeah, but shall we do a podcast? I should say, yeah, go on. <laughs> <laughs> I've learned exactly one thing, and it's the definition of kayfabe. (laughs) (laughs) Kayfabe, of course, is maintaining the illusion, which it still sounds like you're maintaining the illusion that you really like Disney. (laughs) I like aspects of it. How was your Disney trip, anyway? Oh, no, wait, it's February. Kayfabe, kayfabe. (laughs) Uh, Yeah, it was great. I've uh, really enjoyed it. I got my photo taken with an Elvis impersonator at the front gate. Outside of Disney World. And I can't believe you managed to kick Mickey, Goofy and Donald Duck in the balls. Yeah, yeah. Went for the hat trick. Yeah, Yeah. the holy trinity. Apparently I'm the first person who's actually successfully done that in the whole of the world. Yeah. So they'll be writing books about me. They will do. I also was really glad that I only got food poisoning three times whilst I was out there this time. A new record for Disney. Yeah, and a new record for me as well. Please don't sell us Disney. <laughs> I'm sure everything is fine. Or if you have got food poisoning, they'll make you leave the park first before declaring it's food poisoning. everyone and welcome to Without a Mouse Podcast, the podcast where we watch and review the obscure and forgotten live action Disney movies on the hunt for a hidden gem. See how smooth it is when you read it, Chris. I sound like a professional radio DJ. I got it perfect last time. Do you think I could keep this level up all night? Do you think I could bash it out? Please don't, it's not for me. <laughs> Just watch you wave your arms. It's what, like one of those car salesmen sort of <laughs> tube men. Hey yo, it's your it's your boy Tim, and I'm joined by my mate. Chris Big Willie Wilson. Hey, Chris. Before continue, remember to subscribe and like this video. I mean, podcast. <laughs> yeah, fuck that. No. no. <laughs> so, uh, have you been? Yeah, doing all right. Don't know. Oh, I was doing all right until you told me what film we were watching. <laughs> oh. 
Well, that was two weeks ago, wasn't it? It was, yes. We've had a week off. So, yeah, bedtime stories. Shall we talk about something else instead? Yeah, I'm desperately wrecking my brain for something interesting that's happened. Um... Oh, oh, I went away. I went on a little trip, didn't I? Oh, that's yes, why we did. couldn't record. Yes. Yeah. Where did you go? I went to uh, stay in Sherwood Forest for a couple of nights in a cabin. Oh, lovely. Um, for Kirsty's sister's husband's birthday. So we went and so stayed. So many possessive <laughs> Yeah. And uh, it was good. We, we got a lot crammed in into like three days. Took loads of board games and the Wii U and the Switch with us and then didn't get a chance to play any of them because we were too busy. Well, you were away. You took all that lot with you, but you just stay at home, wouldn't you? Well, I thought, well... The oh, way it's it... just a bunch of trees. Why would I put... <laughs> <laughs> and the outdoors. Ugh. Well, we're all losers and that's what we wanted to do, so that's why I took it all. But um, yeah, we went into Nottingham and did a escape room. Came number 12 out of 305 groups. Nice. I've never done an escape room. Do you recommend them? Or... Oh, right. Here's, it, here's it, the thing. Is it like the Crystal Maze? Kind of. Okay. It is like the Crystal Maze, but like you're doing one puzzle that takes an hour. Well, not one puzzle, but like that it's all themed into one room. Yep. Um, the big thing for me is when there's shitloads, when it, other people are running around doing challenges, I struggle to keep an image of what's the, the big picture in my head because nobody really communicates with each other as they're going. So my role every time I do an escape room is I just become the no man. So people will come to me and say, is this the answer? And I'll go, no. And I'll, and I'll not be able to tell you what the answer is, but I'll be able to tell you why what you said was stupid. And that is my role whenever I end up in an escape room. That just sounds like my day job. I'm basic, I turn into a right manager. I just stand over people going, don't be stupid. Don't do that. Yeah, <laughs> nah. So I, I didn't realise. So I've been in the escape room for nearly ten years now, man. <laughs> <laughs> and you've not figured out how to get out. No. <laughs> <laughs> we had a really fun bit though, where um, we'd got the code for a little key safe that was on the wall, and we were putting the code in and pressing the button, and it wasn't working. And we were positive we'd got it right, and we were trying it over and over and over again. And we sort of wandered off and did something else because it wasn't working. And the host of the escape room because they have a TV screen so they can communicate with you because they're watching you yep. the whole time. A uh, bit like the Truman Show. But... Hey. <laughs> so you would like that. I yeah. would, yes. Speaking of which, tangent from my tangent, on Facebook today, someone was trying to sell a movie poster, like full-size movie poster of the Truman Show for a fiver. Oh, nice. Yeah, so... Uh, well, is I'll... that going to be swaps and sales? Yeah. Oh, bloody hell. I'll have to look on Facebook tomorrow at work. That feels a bit too Truman Show to buy the Truman Show poster on Facebook. It would be a bit, yeah. <laughs> we're, we're finally living it. <laughs> mm, yeah. But anyway, yeah. So, yeah, the person who was watching the room put up on the screen that you'd got the code right. So we were trying it again for a good minute, trying to put the code in, to the point where she even wrote the code on the screen. And we, were, we had to turn around and shout to her, like, we're doing it. And then she had to come in and check. And the key safe had actually been broken by the last team. Oh, right. So we couldn't get in. But um, luckily they had... I mean, that's one way to stay a top leaderboard. Oh, <laughs> yeah. So uh, she... Uh, she ha- Luckily they have spare keys, which I had, didn't realise that they did. So uh, she came in with the spare key and she knocked two minutes off our time. Which is fair, yeah. Yeah, but um, it was a really like... 
high concept one where we were working for, we were at an interview, a joint group interview for a security company mm. and they'd set up a bomb in the other room. So we had to get into that room and defuse the bomb. But when we, it was really well themed. So there was like, when we got in there, it was like big server cabinets with all lights flickering and stuff and we had to put pins in to uh, change the it was it was great sounds alright yeah one of the better ones we've done and every time you do an escape room you get down to like 15 minutes and you think there's no way we're going to finish it and you still manage we, we're undefeated our team but I always get to the end and I feel like I really enjoyed it but also I've been completely useless as a member of this <laughs> team I'm never integral <laughs> ah so you'll be good at middle management then <laughs> yeah I, I, I would have a go. I'll try. It won't be like before next episode or anything like that. But I will try within the next couple of episodes doing the escape room. I've got an idea of how to get one arranged. We keep saying we need to do them because, like, there's one in Grimsby and one in Cleethorpes. Oh yeah, there is, isn't there? For the choices video. Yeah, yeah. Oh, is that? Oh, of course it is, isn't it? It that, is. Yeah, yeah. Well, I used to get NBA Jam uh, every two weeks for about eight months. <laughs> Hiring Pokemon Snap. That's what I did a lot from Blockbuster. <laughs> Choices is also where I uh, rented out the Truman Show. That's how I saw it for the first time. Uh, and it was all downhill from there. Yeah. I uh, I, only, I rented it. I only really did because I thought it was Pleasantville, which I saw a lot of, you know, like the trailers I really wanted to watch it and I got two films confused. All right. Pleasantville's banging as well. I think that's in my top 20 films too. I've never watched it, but I've, I know what it's about and stuff, but yeah. I've never highly, seen it. Highly recommended. Right, really, really good. Go, then. Yeah. Anything else that we can talk about other than this film? I mean, it's not a terrible film. It's just I've got problems with it. That's yeah, I mean, that's issue. that's what we say about a lot of these films we've watched so far, isn't it? Yeah, but there's one discernible, massive, integral problem. Which we discussed via text the other night. I yes. think if it's the one I'm thinking of. Yeah, because I got a bit mad that you made me watch <laughs> a film with this problem in. Yeah, sorry. Uncle Skeeter, tell us a bedtime story. What the heck is on my head right now? Bugsy. Why do you call him Bugsy? Because of his eyes. Those would be big on a cow. <laughs> Anyways, back to the story. Once upon a time, the greatest of all the heroes was Skeeterkus. <laughs> and then... It started raining gumballs. It started raining gumballs. That's weird. Disney Pictures. Last night I told my sister's kids a bedtime story and it came true. This is gold. Yeah. I got a new story I want to lay on you. What happens in the tales he tells? How can I ever thank you? Will happen in real life. Then a dwarf kicks him in the butt. So the kids control the stories. But he's about to discover that once the stories start... There's no telling where they're going to end. Then somebody threw a fireball at Skeeto. You want me to catch on fire? Adam Sandler. Flame resistance spray. That's for Christmas trees? Oh, oh I'm sorry. It doesn't hurt that bad. Oh, you're right, that hurts. Bedtime stories. Yeah. <laughs> 
Anyway, yeah, bedtime stories came out in 2008. Yes. It's an hour and 39 minutes, so it's a mid-range length. That's not the problem. No, that's not the problem. It's got a, got a very star-studded cast, which I suppose you get when you make a Disney movie. Yeah, yeah, but I'd say you have a very decent budget on this as well. 18 million, I think it was. Yeah, and again, it's one of these films where you can kind of see where the money went. There's yeah, some so- decent... Graphics and design choices. All the different, like, dream fantasy type sequences. Yeah. <sighs> but let's... <laughs> Shall we uh, let's... say who it stars? <laughs> it's, it's a Ben... <laughs> it's not a Ben Stiller film, Tim. <laughs> I, I, other... I, I actually quite like Ben Stiller. Who's the other prick? It's Adam Sandler. Adam Sandler, this is an yeah. Adam Sandler film. I cannot believe you maybe watched an Adam Sandler film. But we've got it out of the way now. This is the only one he's done, and yeah, that's it. Yeah, the only eligible one. I think he was also a voice in uh, Zootropolis or Zootopia, depending on your region. Yeah. Yeah, um, Yeah. thanks, Tim. I didn't realise, but it was literally a Happy Gilmore production as well, wasn't it? Yeah, yeah. They're only one, as it so turns out. So, do you like any of the Adam Sandler films, Tim? Me and Kirsty used to be very fond of Fifty First Dates, but with the caveat that I have not watched it in well over fifteen years, yep. and I bet it's incredibly problematic by today's standards. Going by Adam Sandler's normal treatment of women in his films, which we'll get into, <laughs> I'm gonna say it's not aged well. Right, okay. But it wasn't very good in the first place. So I've managed to Find all the films that I like of his. Right. Okay. Here we go. The Wedding Singer is quite funny. Mm-hmm. Because I'm a pretentious former film student, Punch Drunk Love. And I assume I've not watched it yet, but I will do beforehand, uh, before this episode comes out. I'm, I assume Uncut Gems is good as well. I'm, the, as I said in the previous episode, the main reason I was wanting to watch this is to see uh, what put. His name in my head was Uncut Gems on Netflix at the yep. moment that everyone's raving about. So I've heard really good things. But other than that, everything else he's been in has been shite. Yeah. Okay, let's talk about <laughs> the plot. <laughs> so we begin uh, quite promisingly, visually, because um, we have a pop-up book, mm. which is telling our uh, prologue. And it's been narrated by a character called Marty Bronson, uh, who's played by Jonathan Price. For some reason, I'm really bad at remembering actors' names. Yeah. Um, especially old white guys. They're the worst for me. They all have the he, same names. He wasn't always old. Um, for me, what? he's most notable for being in Brazil. Well, yes. Which I'm... is a really fantastic film. <laughs> That's in my top ten. I'm very aware of how be- becoming old works, Chris. I know you're not always old. Well, like, oh, old people look the same to it, Tim. Well, yeah, they do. Now, I, I thought for the job from Price, you're going to go on about uh, Pirates of the Caribbean. Which he was in, yes. Was, yes, yes. I didn't recognise him from that, but I couldn't remember his name. Uh, yeah, so our prologue is that this character, Marty Bronson, he was the uh, owner of a motel called the Sunny Vista, which he opened in the 70s in LA, and his young son, Skeeter, um, who worked for him, basically slave child labour, because he was only about eight years old, by the looks of it. Well, that's... Something like that, uh, who was the bellhop, and apparently was this brilliant kid that was obsessed with working there and really 
passionate about his job. Which is fair enough. Yeah, yeah this is what... Nothing wrong with that. He's sort of adorable in his uh, bellhop uniform. And my very first prediction, because there were many of them for this film. Yes. Uh, pretty much every 10 minutes I had a new one. My prediction straight away was that obviously this kid is going to be Adam Sandler. I mean, it wasn't going to be Brad Pitt, was it? <laughs> um, and basically, they bond over the fact that uh, Dad likes to tell Skeeter bedtime stories. What the kid doesn't know is that the business is failing, um, probably due to him giving his dad brilliant ideas like giving every me- every room extra pairs of socks, because people always forget socks. Maybe they went bankrupt because they're supplying everyone with free socks. Yeah, but uh, Wilson's socks, no relation, is doing really well because of it. Really? Is that a fact? Mm, probably. <laughs> um, yeah, so the hotel is uh, financially, it's a wee bit fucked. <laughs> so he sells it on uh, to Uncle Monty, or who will become Uncle Monty. For, <laughs> and uh, with the idea of a promise that one day Skeeter will take over management of whatever the hotel becomes. But of course it doesn't get put in writing at this stage. No, it doesn't. <laughs> Because his dad's an idiot. So um, then we cut straight to present day where they've built a massive hotel owned by, on the same property, sorry, and Skeeter is now the handyman rather than the owner. Which is such an Adam Sandler thing for him to do. Yeah. It's sort of like, so his his role here is is the handyman is a bit dim-witted, but very, very aware that he's dim-witted for laughs. Yeah. It's imagine you took Adam Sandler role, and this is it. Yeah, I was just going to say there's a confrontation early on um, with an old lady who's been drinking the booze from her mini fridge and making out that she hasn't, which he then comes into uh, placate. But it was the what I recognise this actress from. She was the um, very conservative Christian orphanage owner in Buffy that causes all the ghosts in uh, the dormitory to terrorise Buffy and Riley. So she was, yeah. And they end up getting trapped in a jungle shagging den in their God, yeah, I thought... I'm not sure if this is a hot take or not, but... So this is the episode where basically shagging the whole episode. Yeah, they get locked in a room and hypnotised to shag. Worst episode of Buffy ever. Absolutely, I agree. By a mile. (laughs) It's that and... You know, the episode with, uh, called Ted with John Ritter in it, where at one point it looks like she's killed an actual human, but oh no, he's a robot, ha ha ha. I fucking love that episode because it's so bad. <laughs> it's those two episodes, like, and, and Hellmouth between the rest of the episodes, they are that awful. <laughs> but um, using showing off his imagination skills, Skeeter basically suggests that it was... Oh no, no the, the lady, right? The lady, because she's probably still intoxicated, implies that a leprechaun uh, took over booze instead. And then he uh, placates her by saying he'll pay for it out of his own money. And next time you see the leprechaun, let him know and all that lot. Yeah. Now, the main thing I wanted to point out here immediately so we've got this other lady on reception, and yeah. I, I didn't catch her name, to be no, fair. No, I didn't. Um, with dark haired lady yeah dark haired lady and immediately Skeeter is an absolute sexist prick to her <laughs> for no reason at all okay she's a bit standoffish yeah but 
if you spoke to some, if you spoke to a woman like this in a normal workplace, his ass would be in front of HR so quickly. I really didn't tell, notice what he was saying because the whole time the woman, the older lady was describing the leprechaun, all I could think was she was ex- describing King Brian from Darby O'Gill and the Little People. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> So I was a bit distracted at that point. Same thing, like, uh, yeah, she's describing a leprechaun, everyone's like, really paying attention, like, oh yeah, we actually believe her. <laughs> yeah. Leprechauns are real. Yeah, and then from here we go to a very star-studded ballroom, so we see all of the main characters. Again, it seems to be quite typical for our Disney films, we'll just dump all of the characters that you've got to know in the very first scene. Yeah. We've had that quite a bit, haven't we? Um, so yeah, we've got Guy Pierce, who was playing um, the actual manager of the hotel, Ken. We've got, uh, as you said earlier, we've got Richard Griffiths, who is the owner of the hotel. I've just called him Uncle Monty for the whole film. (laughs) They they do this real real non-joke of him being a germaphobe all the way through the film, which has no payoff and is never funny. No, I know what this is referenced to. So this is about the 2500 film uh, that does a character that's a joke on Howard Hughes. Right. He was an eccentric uh, millionaire, like casino owner, who apparently got notoriously germaphobic and as a result quite reclusive in his older age. Uh, famously, there's an episode of The Simpsons uh, called Springfield with a dollar sign where uh, Mr. Burns owns a casino and does the same thing. Right. Where he becomes very germaphobic. That ger- that reference that all kids watching this film will definitely get. Yes. It, it's <laughs> strange that we put this in here. There's literally no reason for with no payoff. Yeah. And then most importantly as well, um, we've got a... I don't really know what his job is. Maybe like a just a bellboy, essentially. And that is Russell Brand. <laughs> God, I forgot... So this is... I, I, I literally put, question for Chris, where do you stand on Russell Brand? No, just no. His neck then. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> maybe his bloody face. It, this Well, this is 2008, this is when... For a it, split second he thought he could have a film career. Yeah, it was him and Ricky Gervais at the same time trying to break Hollywood. And who would have thought it? It was James Corden that did. <laughs> Sorry, America, we do export some other shit to you. I've always had a bit of a soft spot for Russell Brand, and I cannot explain why, I just do. Well, you're sympathetic towards him because of uh, that whole media storm with uh, Andrew Sachs. Oh, right, yeah, when yeah, he got d- d- into d- trouble d- d- for... Do you remember Sachsgate? That was all overblown. Wasn't it him and Jonathan Ross? It was, yeah. Yeah, Jonathan well, Ross has had zero repercussions at all now, yeah. hasn't he? Well, Russell Brand fucked off to Hollywood, so he did all right as well, but... <laughs> God, I can't believe... We're, we're... Referring to Saxgate. A lot of our overseas listeners will not have a fucking clue what we're on about. No, that's Sax with a H. Put it in Wikipedia. It was such a non-event, but obviously at the time of Daily Mail were like, Aha! Got you, you fuckers. It seems so quaint that that's the kind of thing that made news back then. Yeah, I know. (laughs) Right. Yeah, so he's there for some reason. And we're also introduced to, and again, I didn't get down her name, but it's just Paris Hilton. Violet, she's called. Violet, that's one, thank you, yeah. We have a very weird relationship with Violet in that in these early scenes, she is a two-dimensional caricature of, as you say, Paris Hilton. Yep. which again, to point out, um, obviously Hilton Hotels and all that lot, she's a, Paris Hilton's a heiress to shitloads of hotels, basically, so I think that's why we've included this character. Yeah. Instead of, because I don't even think Paris Hilton was a thing by 2008, was she? 
yeah, she would have been. Yeah, because when we were when we were younger teenagers, I remember watching like all the Paris Hilton TV shows and stuff, and again finding them hilarious. Yeah, yeah I thought she like peaked in like it was in Simple Life in like 2004 when she did that House of Wax film, which she was actually okay in it. To be fair, all right. And then that was it. So I thought it was already all over by 2008. All right, but... I thought you were saying was it after? No, you're no. saying yeah, yeah, she, yeah, yeah. It was all all well and truly. Done. She does them. casino adverts these days. But annoyingly, she this character at the beginning, she's supposed to be like the Paris Hilton stereotype. She's a dumb, ditzy, idiotic blonde, yep. just played for laughs. Until Adam Sandler's character suddenly decides that she is the prize for him to win in this film, and then suddenly we get a lot more sympathetic towards her. Um, oh God! Put your bins out, Tim. <laughs> Oh, I thought I'd turn that off again. So, the uh, Violet is a very interesting and sort of creepy character we'll get into further along in the film. Yes, we will. All, all I'll say is that Adam Sandler's quite clearly twice her age. Yes, definitely. <laughs> it's very odd, isn't and, it? And at one point, I thought, well, I'll jump ahead right now. I thought it was a reference at one point, the fact that she was two years older than his nephew. As it turns out, she has a daughter or a sister. But uh, All right, but, I totally but, missed that one. But, but I, for the majority of the film, I thought she was about 18 years old. <laughs> right, so yeah, the reason they're all gathered in this room is that Richard Griffiths' character, who's called Barry... Uh, Uncle Monty. <laughs> um, he's, closing the, he's now closing the new hotel... Um, to build a mega hotel, and he's there to announce that Kendall will uh, still be the new manager there. And it, there's a bit of a. He's going to say, I'm a new manager of his, and Skeet is like, <gasps> it's clearly not him because he's a handyman. Yeah. Duh. Um, and then from here, we go to a kid's birthday party where they're, they're learning to make pottery. It's meant to show that this person leading the party is boring, but I'd quite like to do that. I did it at school, um, for some reason at Cloverfield's school, um, there was a, a kiln there, so so yeah, we did a couple of um, activities, including the pottery for a few years, and so I removed it. I've still got like an ornament, like it's supposed to be a ceramic bowl, but because I did it when I was five years old, it's shaped like shit, and it's like called red with gr- bogey green and blue stripes, it looks awful. Now that's really interesting, because the most unbelievable aspect of the film Hocus Pocus for me, never mind all the uh, witchcraft yeah, all the witchcraft <laughs> and magic was always the fact that the school had a kiln but now you're telling me that there is such a thing as a, a school kiln. We also had a swimming pool, I've got no idea why it was closed most of the time because we couldn't maintain it properly. <laughs> this was one like some sort of bloody private school, either it was just a bog standard uh, primary sort of school. Weirdly, Grimsby was good for swimming pools because, like, Whitgift had one. No, people don't care about this. Why oh, am no, I going no. on? <laughs> Greetings to our listeners in Alabama, wherever it was this week. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so the lady whose, whose kid's birthday it is is uh, good old Monica Geller from Friends, Courtney yeah. Cox Arquette. Yeah, I, I didn't realise she did any films after a certain point. Not very many, I don't think. Um, and we learn, we get a brilliant, you know, info dump about her. She's a teacher who's divorced. She's also Adam Sandler's sister. Yep. She is too boring of a parent. And according to this film, anyway, she and uh, she tries to feed the kids all sorts of like I say weird stuff. It's like more 
bland vegetarian sort of things like rice cakes and wheatgrass. It's the kind of thing that would have been incredibly extreme in 2008, but nowadays no. seems quite responsible. <laughs> yeah, but she like keeps kids away from sugar, keeps them away from TV, which, again... And not being funny, but if you can actually maintain that sort of thing without getting really agitated as a parent, surely that's a good thing. Yeah, so we get a good juxtaposition of her with Adam Sandler, who turns up um, with birthday presents of hotel towels and shampoo bottles that he's just nicked from the hotel. So obviously we're supposed to think he's a bit of a douchey slob and mum's a bit of a bum. Yeah, and we find out that Monica Geller is being laid off. The school is being shut down. Yeah, and so she's got an interview out of state. So can Adam Sandler's character Skeeter please look after the kids, which he is hesitant. Because he hasn't seen for four years. Yeah. Because he had an incident with the kids, Bobby and Patrick. Um, he had an incident with the dad. S- something incidental, but as a result, he's not seen for four years. So he doesn't know the but Dad's fucked off, so it don't matter now. Yeah, for Dad leaving, it results some really funny dialogue soon. Yeah. <laughs> so as he's leaving, the he, he eventually agrees that he'll he'll look after the kids. Um, and he's leave as he's leaving the party, he meet bumps into Jill, who will be sharing the par- uh, the babysitting responsibilities yeah, but- with him. In this interaction, I think she's supposed to be seen as a bit of a bint, but. No, again... <laughs> it's more... I can never decide who angle we're supposed to be coming from because is is it that we're supposed to side with Adam Sandler? Yes. Which... But I is. don't. No. <laughs> Ever. Because he comes across as an absolute sexist pig. Yeah. Immediately he thinks, ah, that one's got boobs and a vagina. Better be really bloody mean-spirited to her. Yeah. So immediately he's like, on her case, but everything's just like, you've just met the person. She, you wouldn't do this to a bloke, would you? Yeah, she very politely uh, mentions the fact that he's kind of double-parked and yeah. she had to walk down the street. And he just sort of lays into her, basically. Yeah, he's just like, oh, this, this is a, a company car who gets scratched after pay for it, blah, blah, blah. I mean, he tries to come across a bit funny, but just like, well... So, yeah, everyone's got company cars. Oh, no, well, not everyone, but you know, it's not a unique problem you have. No. Don't take up two spaces, you prick. And then from here, we go to the hotel. Oh, oh and there's a joke as well about her owning a hybrid car as well, which uh-huh. it turns out she does. Yes, and again, very 2008, isn't it? It is, yeah. Saving the environment is just so lame. <laughs> well, I know if there's any more Adam Sandler films, I'm in favour of destroying the environment. <laughs> So then we go to back to the hotel in the kitchen where Russell Brand and Adam Sandra are having a quick chat. And Russell basically asks why he didn't why didn't Adam ask to be manager at this point? And Adam Sandler's reply is that, well, it didn't seem like the right time. And it's like, well, when the fuck is the right time? I I know, when some kids so, tell some bedtime stories, perhaps. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, he ends up being late for the kids, so he has to go get them. So the first night, he stays at the kids' house. Yes. And literally the only things he brings with him are his toothbrush and his pants. <laughs> fair. Yeah. I mean, that's how I travel, to be fair. Yeah. And I can't remember how the setup here is, but we uh, have one of my favourite bits of dialogue here in how on the nose um, it is. Uh, so we're talking about something like that Mooko's happening. And uh, one of the kids immediately launched into miracles, like my dad coming back. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, there's this weird plot that 
it comes up a couple of times the the fact that the kids don't have a dad. Yeah. But it never goes anywhere. It's never really resolved, is it? Because the dad never comes back. No, it's never referred to. I don't think he's even got a name. It's just dad. There's another bit later on where one of the kids says something and and keeps referring to him as her father. And I was like, nobody's nobody talks about their dad like that, (laughs) even if he was there. But yeah, it's it's a bit 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 clunky this dialogue. It It is, yeah. Um, And then. The, the note that I made at this point, because um, Jill's handing over the kids to Adam Sandler, she's still around and they're having a bit of a dialogue. And, and I just wrote that I really don't want Jill and Skeeter to get together, but they're going to, aren't they? You knew this at this point already. Yeah. <laughs> this is the year trajectory we're on. I think it's a bit odd that you get Courtney Cox in and not have her as for love interest. It I must know. have been a scheduling issue, surely. I don't know because she. No, she's do you know what the... it is? She's Sorry. too old to go to be a leading lady. That's what. That's the cynical side of it. I bet she was like thirty-five at the time. Probably, like considering Adam Sandler was probably already about forty, forty-five. Yeah, like Friends only finished in two thousand and four, so we're only talking four years after yeah. Friends at this point. She she won't be that old. I know she's got a typecast now as this sort of like highly strung. Woman, basically. But yeah. I don't know why, if you get someone like that in, you don't go with her instead of Jill, who I can't even remember who plays her, which sounds a bit bad. It'll be it'll be money more than anything, I would have thought. Just the more you film her, the more you got to pay her. Yeah. <laughs> Is she like Arnold Schwarzenegger in Terminator 2, where she gets paid by the uh, word? Really? Is that how he got paid? Yeah, yeah the, every single uh, word of dialogue he has, he got paid about 50 grand for it. What? I know. Fucking hell. <laughs> That's crazy. Well, anyway. famously in Friends, they were on, each of the main cast was on a million dollars an episode in the final season, wasn't it? Yeah. That's, that's just... Crazy, but I probably justify considering how well it's continue to be all these years later. Yeah, I suppose, yeah, they they, they cashed in at the right time. I, I know it's grotesque money compared to what I know I earn on a bloody <laughs> yearly basis, but for the amount of money it's made other people, I can, a million probably now they're thinking, shit, should have got a percentage on it. Yeah. But anyway, back to bedtime stories, I suppose, and yeah, we're going to a bedtime story, but first we're also introduced to Bubsy, or Bugsy, I should say, the guinea pig. Fuck Bugsy. I don't get it. No. <laughs> so, this is going to be a spoiler, but I thought the whole point of him having those really terrifying CGI eyes was that it was going to turn out he was enchanted. Yeah. But he's not. So, basically, there's this... Yeah, we get this visual gag of the guinea pig with giant eyes, and then after we've had that one note gag, it means we have to drag the fucking guinea pig along in every scene, despite barely being around. And it's just like, it's the, it's a like, essentially this is the animal mascot that would be in a, normally be in a animated Disney film. Yeah. But they've brought that into the live action and it just does not work. No, why? Because considering everything else that's going to come along soon, in the real world, Everything happens realistically. Yeah. Except for these eyes. Yeah. <laughs> Which are fucking terrifying. They are terrifying. I'm not sure if they're like trying to go, oh, it's cute, but sort of like freakish looking. It's just kill it with fire. Yeah. 
<laughs> but yeah, the kids' uh, storybooks, they're all a bit too... Uh, well, he well Adam Sandler says the communist books. He actually says communist yeah, books. Yeah, he does. Um, but basically, they've it, got morals and they're a bit of an ethical side to them. Yeah, it was and like, again, it, the rabbit that uh, believes in equal revenue sharing and, <laughs> and, and stuff like that. So he decides he's going to make up his own stories because... We've already established he's good at stories with his dad. Uh, Is he, though? Well, no, his dad was good at telling stories. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So he puts on a a shit British accent to pretend that he's a knight, and it's basically an allegory of his own life. So it's a knight that um, should be in line to... you know, should be in line for the throne, but another knight beats him to it yep. and stuff like this. Played by Guy Pearce, instantly, and, yeah, so and it, Uncle Mont is the king, and it's just basically a repeat of what we saw before, Yeah, but it's in a mythical land instead. And there's a mermaid, which is played by Jill, and the kids are there. And, and do you notice again, uh, so it's it wasn't a mermaid to begin with, Start, started out as a fairy, and then Adam Sandler wanted to change it to a crazy bird that squawks, yeah. and is a bitch. Yeah, absolutely. Um, Again, unnecessary. But I get a feeling this is Adam Sandler, like script editing, thinking, yeah, but what if, you know, I just hate women some more? What What's supposed to be kind of the hook to all of these um, little vignettes that, of the stories is that between Adam Sandler's character and the two kids, between them, they're making it up as they go along. Yeah. So by the end of the stories, each time they're a bit ridiculous and things have got a bit com- convoluted. Mm. Um, so for this one... The knight lives in a giant shoe, gets athlete's face, and then jumps into the lake with crocodiles and dies. Yes. Can I just point out? Just I quite this this was quite cute. This miniature segment. It was. But, but apart from that, I was like. Mm. So I, I just wanted to point out. You know how on about Howard Hughes early on, and who yeah. would get that reference? Did you catch the knight's name? Um, no. Sir Fixalot, which right. is a take on Sir Mixalot. Of course, it, it came yeah, out with yeah. a classical song, Baby's Got Back. Yeah. It's a kid's film in 2008. Yeah, who would get that reference? <laughs> yeah, good point. Um, one for the dads, eh? One for the dads. <laughs> and then the, one of the kids, I think it was the, the little lad, suggests that the, the story should end with it raining gumballs. Yeah. And Adam Sandler kind of says that he wishes it was like real life, like that in real life. Mm. Um, this was a, a nice little scene and it connects to what happens next um, except that they at the end play Journeys Don't Stop Believing which for me is the worst song ever recorded <laughs> it's definitely the most overplayed song ever recorded no, no joke it's the worst song <laughs> like that whole 80s rock thing can get in the fucking bin anyway but yeah hair metal can just it's not even die. hair metal it's just like Blokes who wanted to be in a boy band but were afraid that they'd get comments, so they decided to play a few guitars. And then, you know, it's just basically 80s boy band stuff, isn't it? To be honest, I can't stand any 80s music, and me and Kirsty fight over that all the time because she loves 80s music. I used to be really against 80s music, I've got into a bit of new wave recently. For me, weirdly, I don't like 80s music, but I like modern music that's Trying to ape 80s music. Oh, no, it was that whole um, Vaporwave sort of thing. Oh, I could, I could listen to Vaporwave all day. I'm not a fan of it. I, I don't like 80s nostalgia. Uh, I think I we've, like... we've, look, we've already know, lost we've... half our audience by saying that about five times. We need to, <laughs> we need to leave the 80s alone. <laughs> <laughs> anyway. Sorry, the 80s. <laughs> anyway, anyway, the next morning. <laughs> 
filmed in 2008 and not the 80s. Yeah. So they're having breakfast. Well, Adam Sanders making breakfast, and it's all he's got is lots of healthy shit to uh, put together, and it doesn't taste very nice. So he puts his toothpaste in it, and it's all very silly. And you know, you've got mm. it's that typical 90s kind of comedy where you've got the idiot male. And the kids are all being very like shaking their heads. Yeah, it's basically that still bit from Mrs. Doubtfire. Because Mrs. Doubtfire is a good film, and I don't want it anywhere <laughs> near this. Sorry. My the, my point of reference for the whole thing was the Santa Claus because because oh. also fuck Tim Allen. And I think if this was released in the nineties, it would have been exactly the same film, except it would have Tim Allen in it. You're right. You're absolutely right. Yeah, because he's always a miserable prick that doesn't know what he's doing. And then suddenly everything's fine by the end. Yeah, and you're supposed to warm to him because he does stuff in the middle, I suppose. Yeah, beside the fact that he doesn't actually have any growth. He just is around until you uh, acclimatise yourself to him. God, you're right, Tim. You're subjecting me to a Tim Allen film starring Adam Sandler. (laughs) (laughs) What have you done? At this point, I'd just like to point out that there are plenty of Tim Allen Disney films. I know there are. Just, just warning you now. Please don't. <laughs> um, also, when we were having all this play on the meeting, healthy shit, I just thought, have I told you that I'm going vegan after Disney? Oh, I yeah. I thought that would be, you'd find that quite funny, since um, any time we're not hanging out in this house, I'm eating a mixed grill. At, <laughs> yeah, our weather spoons. Yeah, or a surf and turf. <laughs> yeah, and uh, I think you've partook in the meatfeast pizzas that we've had here before recording a few times. Yeah. Yeah, vegan. Interesting. I don't know how well it's going to go, but I'm going to give it a go. There are some decent vegan vegetarian foods. Out. Well, not for, obviously you're not doing vegetarian either, but there are some decent uh, vegan foods out there. I go to Reskin uh, at a vegan cafe. I'm, I'm there on Friday. Oh, nice. Kayfabe. And, <laughs> and yeah, they uh, do some really nice mac and cheese balls. Obviously the cheese is vegan. And I once had a vabab there, which I think the meat was made out of Soy and wheat instead. To be honest, the big thing for me that made me think I could possibly go vegan was having a kebab at Doc's Beers that was vegan. Oh, yeah, yeah. Because um, it was amazing. Yeah. And I've actually bought some vegan dono meat in my freezer at the moment. I'll be honest, I saw your tweet about the other day about how people couldn't have excuses. Oh, yeah, I did put it on Twitter, didn't I? Yeah. And I'm happy to announce I do have a legitimate excuse why I could never go vegan. Because you can't eat nuts. Correct, yes. <laughs> yeah, that's it. I'm just going to basically just be constantly snacking on peanuts when you're not here. <laughs> and I, I could go vegetarian. And I did have a go for about two weeks. Was it last year or the year before now? I, I, I had a quick go, but I lost a load of weight really quickly. And I, I lose weight very, very quickly. And it's not ideal when you also weightlift yeah. for, for fun for some reason. I went veggie for a month back in like the very early noughties as a teenager and uh, the stumbling block was then going to Menorca for a week ah. and just nobody having any, no restaurants having vegetarian meals. So, so how come you're going vegan straight away and not starting vegetarian? Or... Um, just that the difference between the two, I think I'll be able to handle. We've done a lot of, we're not, it's not like I'm just going to suddenly go vegan overnight. We've been sort of trying a lot of product, vegan products recently. Okay. Um, we've got family members that are vegan as well. So we've had a lot of experience from that side of things, but I'm already experimenting with all the dairy uh, products that you can get instead of. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So uh, when I 
come round a bit earlier in the day. Well, I'll eat the square pizza in my car in the drive. Away no, no, here. no, you can still have it here. I'm not going to be that guy. <laughs> but um, the biggest stumbling block could be that because Kirsty has IBS and because of it, she's not able to eat a lot of vegetables in terms of there's a lot of vegetables that she can't eat, but also she can't eat a lot of quantity. Yeah. Um. So it's probably going to end up being me cooking two different meals every night. So that could be the real stumbling block. But we'll see. We'll see what happens. It's probably... In the very next episode, I'll probably have not gone vegan. But um, obviously... In <laughs> the next episode, you'll probably just be eating a, a tupper wafer-thin ham. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> we had a friend called Lauren who used to come round to watch... Uh, pretty much just to come round and watch our Kevin Smith movie collection. And every time she came round, despite being vegan... Every time she would share a mixed grill with me, <laughs> and she'd just sit there like staring at the screen, just shoveling four different meats into her mouth, just like I'm such a bad vegan. <laughs> but yeah, yeah, healthy breakfast. Yes. So I think toothpaste is vegan. <laughs> I hope it is. Yeah, probably stinky. Oh, what you should do is uh, put milk teeth. Did you used to have milk teeth? You never toothpaste. Oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Is that vegan? <laughs> that tasted very nice. I think that's vegan. So there you go. There's an option for you. <laughs> I'll water it down and have it in my tea. Mmm. <laughs> coconut milk is fucking ace. I love... I'm I'm a massive fan of coconut anyway, so we've been drinking a lot of coconut milk instead at the moment. I don't like coconut. Bounties. Ugh. It's awful. Well, bounties aren't great, but a proper coconut's mm. dead good. Right, anyway. Speaking of bounties, no, I've not got anything. Right, <laughs> bedtime stories. <laughs> so, um, Adam Sandler goes into, well, he gets called up, and it's for lady from reception who was supposed to really hate, but there's literally no reason to hate her, apart from she's a bit uptight. Um, says that Uncle Bonnie's TV needs fixing right now. Yep. So, he's forced to bring the kids along with him to work. And as he goes away to fix the TV, um, he leaves the kids in ch- with Violet. Where she basically starts grilling the kids on their sex life. Yep. <laughs> Bit creepy for like 11 and 9. Yep. And uh, meanwhile, as that's happening, Adam Sandler's uh, stumbling around in the dark because Uncle Monty believes that germs spread quickly when there's light around. Yeah. Ha 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 ha. And after tripping over a bit, um, Uncle Monty starts going on about his grand plans for this new hotel. And the secret theme. Yeah, the secret theme is on about, and he says, I can't tell you. I'll go and I'll tell you. Yeah. And his idea is the Hard Rock Cafe. Essentially, yeah. yes. Which Adam Sandler then tells him already exists, yeah. which he didn't know. Which for a, you know, a, a giant hotel baron is quite a weird thing to not know. He might be in his own bubble. Yeah. To keep the germs away. Then there's this really awkward, gross bit where when we cut back to the kids, um, Violet is using Bugsy as a powder puff. (laughs) She's just like... Best use of it, the freak. Yeah. And then then Jill rocks up for handover. Kendall's brought into the meeting and Boss Man says that if Skeeter can come up with a better theme for the hotel than Kendall does, then uh, Skeeter can be the manager. Yeah, uh, because Kendall basically ripped off a concept. Yeah. Yeah. And they've got one week to come up with the concept. That's right, yep. So <laughs> right, plot wise. Going ahead from here. Right. Mm-hmm. 
this is the you know you've got you have one week to come up with a plot this is where the next act of the film would be about watching that character try and come up with the plot mm-hmm. the, the theme for this hotel that doesn't happen we just have a lot of things that do happen but he's never really thinking about it no until we get to the party a week later and suddenly he has the idea because we'll describe what happens immediately after that in a minute, but he comes on to the idea that it's for kids that are making what what they're describing yeah. in the bedtime stories, you know, whether it happens there comes true. But it takes about two or three of these bedtime stories before he actually thinks, yeah, shit, I've got to make a pitch for this multi-million pound hotel tomorrow. Yeah. Better get on with it. Afterwards, so he's got his chance to be like rule his hotel, and afterwards he's about to get into a drag race with someone in a sports car. Yeah, in a sports car doesn't really happen, but as he's stalled in under a bridge, it suddenly starts raining gumdrops. Yep. Which, as it turns out, this isn't just a mythical, uh, magical thing that's happening. It's because there's a truck above him on the highway yeah. that's spilling gumballs everywhere after a car crash. There's a really weird bit of editing where like, these gumballs are falling down and musically it sounds like there's a very uplifting kind of track playing, quite a floaty spiritual track. That's supposed to, where, but whilst that's happening, Adam Sandler looks very worried mm-hmm. and confused and literally says, this is spooky. But the two things are at odds with what's happening. Yeah. And I honestly think that was obviously an editing decision after it had been shot. Yeah. But it's clear that that's not what the scene was supposed to evoke. No. Was, and it's so, so I, the impression I got was him going, oh, God, maybe the kids' bedtime stories are true. But when you actually look at it and listen to it, it's just like, oh, what's going on? Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. And then we, yeah, we pull back and see that actually it's a truck that's yeah. just dropped its load on him. <laughs> hey oh. So I, I will say now... So in these scenarios that happen coming up, so it's described, uh, what we get for the rest of the film basically is they come up with a story when it happens in real life. But apart from a couple of things that are really convoluted, everything happens in a somewhat realistic way. Yeah. And I actually really like the concept. Really? Because it was annoying me a little bit. What what I don't like about it is often we'll go back to my analogy with the Santa Claus. Yeah, you've got your dickhead Tim Allen, you've got your kid that thinks he's a dickhead, and um, what happens in that film is the kid sees magical things happen with Tim Allen around, and by the end, Tim Allen and the kid have changed. Mm-hmm. In this film, you've got Adam Sandler who's telling the kids a bedtime story. But then all the magical things that happen in the real world only ever happen to Adam Sandler, whilst the kids are not part of that plot line. And I don't like, in, I don't like that the kids never really see what happens in the in the in the through line of the story. All that happens to the kids is they get told a few stories at bedtime, and that's their whole arc. I think that's fine. All right, they, they, you know, for this film, I think it's fine because it gets a bit convoluted. They, I, it's like cleverly. I don't think I, I want to use the word clever here, but it's cleverly done in that the kids never describe themselves in the story. True. So, so it frees them up 
because the story's not really about the kids. I know it's a Disney yeah, film, it's but not. it's not really about them. But I, I know it's not about them, but I think it should be more about them. <laughs> yeah. They're very two-dimensional, the kids as well, aren't they? They don't get much... Yeah, but again, they, they that's are. quite common for a Disney films as well. To it be is, fair. yeah. I'd, I'd say for this one, I don't mind that they are basically story dumps, essentially. Yeah. So, so sorry. <laughs> so um, immediately, he uh, wants to get more bedtime stories from the kids, and is like immediately, yeah, let's let's go to bed. Oh no, it's only half past five. Oh, fine, we better feed you burgers first. Yeah, so they get room service, don't they? Yeah. Um, I was looking at room service. It made me think, oh, I better look at some room service stuff for our hotel, see what it's like. And to be honest, the the ones in our hotel are pretty uh, standard when we go to Disney. But um, I thought I would tell you about something that might uh, wind you up a bit. What's that? About one of the hotels has a room service offering. At the Polynesian Hotel, at one of their restaurants, they do like um, an all-you-can-eat um, buffet of like grilled meats and like uh, noodles and all sorts of stuff. And it's one of these ones where they bring the meat on the skewers to the table and they carve it off and stuff like you get in a lot of restaurants to eat that in the restaurant costs $55 a person. Mm -hmm. But if you have it in your room as room service, which you only get one small plate and it's not all you can eat, that costs $60 for one plate of food. No. <laughs> to me, you'd already lost me saying $55, because that's like, what, 25 No, well, these days, it's more like 40 quid, isn't it? It's more like 40, 45 pretty much. <laughs> I mean, no. <laughs> it's crazy. Like it, To me, I f- I'm pushing my belt out when I get the mixed grill from Weatherspoons, and yeah. it's like £12.69. It's crazy to me. Like We watched this um, YouTube channel called Disney Food Blog, and it's one of their favourite meals, and they talk about it all the time, and how if you're, if you're in your room, you should totally get it as room service, and it's so decadent. And it's like, yeah, well, it fucking ought to be for $60. That's crazy. Don't take this the wrong way, but from what you've described about organising this trip and the prices and the stress... <laughs> yeah, this is and... the one thing that's broken the camel's back. Yeah. <laughs> I would rather go to Iraq than I'd rather go to Disneyland. <laughs> fair enough. Disney World, Chris. Sorry. They're very different. Yeah, that's very fair, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so we get another dream, uh, another, not a dream, a bedtime story, mm. um, this time about cowboys and Indians. Yep. And this is the part where we were texting each other at the time, because fucking hell, here, of course, Adam Sandler film, you've got to have your horrible, horrible... Rob Schneider nightmare. Yes. <laughs> Rob Schneider playing a, not the most offensive stereotype you can get, but he's uh, still getting a bit of the old racism in there. Yeah. It's uh, exactly what you'd imagine it is for a, a scene with a Native American yep. in a kid's film. Who's got a fake nose for some reason. Yeah, and I don't know why. No. Very strange. And every, but this is an interesting sequence... Again, I'm not sure if interesting is the right word here. We get but, our uh, we get our in joke from Adam Sandler fans, don't we? Did you get that bit? Which bit? When Rob Schneider leans into the camera and says, "I can do it." Oh yeah, okay. <laughs> <laughs> and that's the noise the horse makes as it appears on the screen. Yeah, I mean, I, I don't think it justifies the call back to other shit. Yeah. But uh, the interesting bit is this time 
Adam Sandler or Skeeter, he completely drives the narrative of this bedtime story and is trying to cash in on all his luck yeah. right away. So the horse is a red, is a dyed red horse. Yep. That's a, a, to represent a Ferrari. And then he does some heroics. So he saves the damsel in distress, who of course is Violet, the 18-year-old blonde lady. And in the end, as an award, as a reward for his good deeds, he gets a million dollars. Yeah. <laughs> so he's trying to get it all in one go. Yeah. Whilst we're talking about the horse, um, on IMDb, when I was looking today, I found possibly two of the most dubious pieces of trivia I've ever seen on IMDb. I think I know which one's on about. <laughs> so the, the first one, um, in reference to the horse, someone had put as a bit of trivia, there's a horse dyed red in this film. Yes, yes really. really? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but then, my, once we're talking about it, my other favourite one, which is ridiculous, um, that it, it is on a website like that. The hotel owner's name is Barry, and Skeeter's futuristic name for him is Baracto, both references to President Obama. As if Obama is the only person in the world that's ever been called Barry. <laughs> <laughs> I've got a mate called Barry. <laughs> oh, Americans. Oh, dear. Yeah, the yeah. End- so so uh, he decides... So this bedtime story happens. He thinks, great, I'll cash in on that Ferrari right away. Yeah. So he goes to a Ferrari showroom or outside of it. Oh, you know, Rob Schneider turns up again. Yeah. And instantly, uh, uh, he has this Skeeter has this look of recognition, like oh, I can't believe it's you from the dream. But how would he know what he looks like? <laughs> Did the kids say, "Oh, it's an Indian," and by the way, it's played by Rob Schneider? <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it's I, very you, odd, isn't it? Yeah. yeah, when you like think of a dream, you sort of when you're in a dream, you sort of recognise the faces. But when you try and describe it afterwards, you realise, hang on a bit, it was all very indistinct, wasn't it? Yeah. But yet somehow he's thought, yeah. Rob Schneider, I'm well in here. But as it turns out, he thinks that Rob Schneider's going to give him this free Ferrari and stuff like that, but actually what happens is Rob Schneider steals his wallet. Yeah. Um, and the one thing that... The two things that do happen uh, that were in the dream is he manages to rescue um, Violet, who's been a, a harassed by paparazzi, Yes. and she gives him a kiss... And then he gets kicked by a midget, which is one of the things that happened that one of the kids had said in the story. Yeah. And at this point, he realizes that the only things that are coming true are the things that the kids yes. have said themselves. Um, so, um, and this always... is where I had to stop watching. <laughs> <laughs> I, I did quite like the uh, gag because uh, he uh, has to find a way to scare the paparazzi off. So he times his car exhaust to backfire at the time where he holds up what looks like a gun, but it turns out to be a drill. I thought that was quite a really funny visual gag. Yeah, it's good. The bit with the uh, little people uh, straight afterwards, Yeah, it doesn't work. Basically, that bit does not work. Yeah, because obviously when it's a the kids just sort of saying things for the story, you, you can kind of say, and then you got kicked by a midget. You don't need the backstory but because there is no backstory basically just this car stops a midget gets out and kicks him yeah for no reason for no reason and then it and then it's like the whole car is full of midgets or something Uh, no idea why and there's a little explanation about why he's there but my issue with it is that they've actually done quite well elsewhere to fit what the kids say into a real life scenario yeah this one just is very 
blunt, it, isn't it? It, it? it could work, but... They've not tried. If they've not given it a go. No, no, no. no. Then uh, next day we've got Jill pick up again. And yeah, this is when he works out that it was the kids' stuff that had uh, come true. Yeah, and uh, Skeet is still really hating on Jill as well for some reason. I can't remember what he said now, but he's still being an absolute dickwad. Yeah. Probably because he thinks he's welling with the uh, 18-year-old blonde. (laughs) Then uh, we get a really tacky joke where Russell Brand's character has what he calls sleep panic disorder and he just keeps sitting up in his sleep and screaming Mm. which is, it is what it is If it had gone somewhere Yeah It would have been fine but There's a lot of things that are set up just to then be shit jokes later on like they don't go anywhere If these type of jokes feel like to me that in the Happy Madison studio and they're looking through the script, and at the same time they're goofing off, and then we go, oh, yeah, that's a great idea. Why try it into the script? Yeah. <laughs> and how does it work? I don't know. Because a lot of Adam Sandler films to begin with just feels like him and his mates. Yeah. He's his untalented, overpaid mates are, are just doing stuff for a laugh, and I'm sure it's probably a great time filming an Adam Sandler a movie, but it doesn't work when you actually no. watch it. I wonder if the script was already like had been written by like Disney, and they gave it to him to then Sandler up. I think so, yeah. Because that's probably why a lot of the stuff feels out of place because it's it, it's not part of the narrative essentially. Yeah, I, I could be talking my ass here, but I think the way it works is that um, with other films like that, I think they're given to Happy Madison to say. Do you, do you want this? And then we go, yeah. But then, obviously, because Adam Sandler's got his own star and everyone yeah. else, that's when they put their input into the film. Fair enough. Then we get a little scene between Kendall and Skeeter where basically Kendall's just saying that I'm on to you. Um, basically, they're just swinging their dicks around. Like, <laughs> yeah. the, the, There's no plot given away at this point. It's just, not, no. it's just a little reminder that they don't get on. Yeah. Although, there is a little bit, I think it's immediately afterwards, where we establish that the new location of the hotel is actually the school. Yes, but Adam Sandler's character Skeeter doesn't know this. No, no, he's, Ken- he's got no idea. No, Kendall's purposely not telling him so that then he can uh, tell Jill later on yeah. and uh, ruin and, their relationship. And we establish this by Kendall just hanging outside the school for some reason. And then we get a scene where Monica checks in. Um, oh, by the way, I'm still in the film. Yeah. Um, Pay me by the word. Straight after that, we go, they're going to have a a camp out but at the hotel which is quite cute seems so reasonable like on the, on the top of like the uh, deck chairs and everything yeah with the with the upholstered deck chairs right next to the little bonfire that they've built mm. but everything yeah it's going to everything's going to be fine yeah um, they didn't spend the 80 million dollars on that bit yeah um and then <laughs> there's this really awful visual where like they're they're stargazing and they say, "Oh look, that one looks like Bubsy, Bugsy," and they and it's literally a dot to dot of a cartoon hamster <laughs> in is. the sky. Yeah, <laughs> and this is where the the girl has this then really clunky dialogue about, "Will my father ever come yeah, back?" Yeah, I wrote that down as well. <laughs> I can't even remember what why. I think it was like. I know we're we on about wishes or something like that. I think the I think at the very simplest, Adam Sandler's reply is very sweet about how 
She's still got a mum. She's still got this Auntie Jill. And you're always going to have me. Yes. And I think basically this is the one section of growth we see from Adam Sandler is this speech. Mm. So maybe that is the only reason why they've got an absent dad. This is where they really try and turn Adam Sandler's character around. Because I don't think we've really emphasised enough how unlikable he is yeah, he's quite a, a bit absolute of a cunt. Yeah, he's a, he's a right knobber. And so this point, this is where he tries to be all sympathetic and this is where he basically buries the shit out of uh, her real dad by saying, you know, he's not a real dad, otherwise he wouldn't yeah. have left. Yeah. And I don't know, when it comes to an Adam Sandler film like this, to me, it doesn't feel like a moment of sympathy. It feels like Adam Sandler going on a self-PR com- campaign. Here's the thing as well. Straight after this scene, we go to the next bedtime story yep. where he just basically tries to abuse the kids to get their uh, their input. Yeah. So after having all of this emotional bit, the sto- he calls the story the great hotel idea story. <laughs> so basically he's trying to get the kids to write what's going to happen for his hotel. So I've completely lost my faith in him straight away yeah it, it, it's for selfish needs yeah and would he be as interested in the kids if this wasn't happening and i'd no, suspect probably not no definitely not um and so the kids between them they want one of them wants an action story one wants romance so they create a combo of the two um so it's the they're in ancient greece and he's a chariot driver and he basically evil knievels over some elephants mm-hmm. um and then obviously ends up getting with some girl that and they're kissing and obviously it's violet this time not um jill yes um so they go for a wine and cheese date and then the kids chime in that all the girls that were mean to him in school are there but they get really jealous and do the hokey cokey <laughs> Which I I find the things that the kids say quite well written. Like you can imagine kids coming up with these ideas, which is quite cute. There was a really dated reference to X Games, which would have been oh bruh. that would have been dated in two thousand and eight, two thousand one, (laughs) bruh. And then they go on about there's a fat guy on the beach that he says from choking. Yeah. And then they go into a magical cave where Abraham Lincoln appears. So obviously Adam Sandler's like, well, I don't want any of this to come true, but it will do. Yeah. And then he gets obsessed trying to get the uh, kids to tell him, well, I get to kiss Violet, don't I? Yeah. And it pisses the kids off so they just turn over and ignore him. Yeah. Isn't he supposed to be playing the hotel? Yeah, that was the whole point, wasn't it? Yeah. And he never does. No. What a dick. <laughs> Then the next day he rings Violet to try and arrange this uh, meet cute that he's told the story about, but she's not available. She's in Vegas. And I was just like, why does Skeeter even want to be with Violet other than the fact that she's a young, hot girl? I mean, that's the reason. Yeah, exactly. it is. Yeah. Um, and then as he's walking down the beach, Jill rollerblades into him. And this is the... Cl- oh, it's so... It is. He basically has the light bulb moment of... And he verbalises it out loud like, oh... Jill is the person I'm supposed to be in love with. I mean, fucking hell, if you'd watched any film ever, you'd have known from (laughs) scene one that Jill is for one. And then, so they do go on this meet-cute. All the girls from his school that used to be mean to him are there. Importantly, one of them is uh, played by Aisha Tyler, who I love. Another Friends alumni as well. Of course, yeah. Um, And they do end up doing... The hokey cokey. For some reason, obviously they don't know why, but they end up doing it anyway. But, and they're kind of freaking out because they can't stop themselves doing the hokey cokey. So this is the first time we kind of see like some kind of supernatural element going on. Yeah. And it's the only time we will see that it in is. this whole film. Again, 
it's out of nowhere. I this time it was quite funny, so I was just like, yeah, yeah I let it slide. That's as well. fine. <laughs> I let it slide a lot more than the uh, sudden carful midgets and the guinea pig's eyes, that's yeah. for sure. And then as they're walking the beach, they see an unconscious guy, so he saves his life. He predicts that it's about to rain. Then when they're under the pier... He, he, bear in mind, sorry, he, from the guy on the beach, Havalot, he's acting like a complete swaggering cockend again. Yeah, he's showing off that he knows what's going to happen. Yeah. And then they go under the pier, which is obviously the cave from the story, um, and invites Jill to the boss's birthday to see him win this presentation, despite the fact that he's put zero effort in so far to the presentation. They are about to kiss when he remembers, oh no, Abraham Lincoln's about to appear. And so he freaks out, and then a penny actually drops out of someone's pocket through the pier, and it appears on the ground. And for some reason, Jill decides now that he's a freak. Like, despite, because he is. Despite, well, yeah, he is, and <laughs> she can do way better than him. But he, this is, again, another thing that he's managed to predict, but apparently that's the thing that's too far for her. Yeah. And so she just wanders off and decides she doesn't like him. Not the fat guy on the beach where he literally just kicked on him, and then a massive fish uh, flew yeah, out of his Yeah, a gob. whole fish uh, flies out of his yeah, mouth. Yeah, an actual whole fish, and she thought at that point, yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Now, there was 40 minutes to go here. And this is what I texted you saying, can I just guess the rest of the film? And I think you probably could have done. Yes. I think there was only one little bit I got incorrect. So there's our final story, which is a sci-fi theme. It's Star Wars. Basically Star Wars, yeah. You've got an interpreter droid, which is uh, yeah. played by Russell Brand and stuff. It, it, it's one of the newer shit-up Star Wars. It basically retells the same story as the, um, the first... Uh, uh, medieval story because it's again it's like le- if, if there's a fight there's Kendall yeah there's a fight to a finish but the in the story Skeeter does win he gets the kiss but then one of the kids ends the story with that there's a fireball that kills him yeah and obviously he freaks the fuck out and to be fair yeah because that means he's going to end up on fire yes. later on. Oh, and during this sequence, when he's crowned the new leader of this planet, the line is, Arise, Sheriff of Nottinghamia, because the hotel is the Nottingham Hotel. And I was like, has this hotel been called the Nottingham, this whole movie, just to make this one gag about the Sheriff of Nottingham? Yes. <laughs> callbacks oh god i was like this is the longest shittest payoff to any (laughs) gag ever one thing i noticed is this is this straight after this we see the scene where kendall tells jill that skeeter is the reason that the school is being demolished essentially Mm -hmm. and this school is in the middle of suburbia in the middle of nowhere and i was like how would this appeal to anyone? Yeah, nobody would want to build a mega hotel no. in this spot. Did he even like say Skeeter was responsible? Or did he just like imply that Skeeter knows about what's going on? Yeah, kind of. He just makes he, he makes because it makes a couple of things uh, later on just not make sense to me. We're back to Adam Sandler is a dick mode because <laughs> he goes to a B and Q or glorified B and Q DIY store, yeah, uh, to buy stuff uh, to prevent him being set on fire. Yep. And it involves him finding some spray for Christmas trees, which I assume you spray it all with like a real pine tree. To make it fire retardant. Yes. Yeah. And someone approaches him because he's spraying it on him like it's service or like it's bleed, some sure or something. And Axe slash Lynx body spray. Yeah, Lynx Africa. There we go. 
Yep. And uh, and the guy's like, hang on a minute, that's a Christmas tree. Do you know what? Adam Sandler is the Lynx Africa of comedians. Yeah, I'd agree with that. <laughs> <laughs> Good, let's I, carry on. I'll just try and think of other ones now. Who would be the Old Spice? <laughs> old Spice, so kind of Ber- classic. Bernard Mannon. Moving on. Uh, so, for whatever reason, Adam Sandler, or, well, Skeeter, whoever, whatever, he uh, turns the can around and accidentally sprays the guy in the eye. Yeah. So he's running off basically crying because he's just been blinded. <laughs> so Skeeter's like, oh, it can't be that bad. So he sprays himself in the eyes with it. Why? This is the most Adam Sandlery bit of the film, I yeah, think. Yeah, I agree. I think this was... I get feeling this was added later on in the script. Yeah. And this was him feeling particularly funny that day, so he thought he'd just go into a DIY store and ask about and put it in the film. Yeah. Then from here we go to the the weekend birthday party, and it's a tiki theme, so there's fire everywhere, so he's really on edge. Yes. Um, no Jill, because he doesn't know that Kendall's pissed her off. That's but right. to be fair, she left him the last time he saw her because of... Him freaking out about pennies and Over shit. a coin, so he could still be thinking it's all about a coin instead. Yeah. And despite Violet being this uh, bimbo airhead character that's not very likeable, yeah. um, her and Russell Brand are now chatting each other up, so we're apparently supposed to like her now, and she suddenly changes character quite a bit. Yeah. Um, obviously, at this point, I don't know if we've even mentioned, but she's married to Kendall while she's you know chatting what? him up. No, we've not mentioned this once. I don't think they're married. I think they are engaged to be. Something like that. Yeah, yeah. Be- because you can't have people married who are evil, I suppose. Yeah. So then um, Adam Sandler, who's eating an ice cream, accidentally gets stung on the uh, tongue by a bee. Yeah, we would, which is, we didn't actually say in the Star Wars one, yeah, he he, he mumbles absolute bollocks in the film. Yeah, so there's uh, a tran- the- he has a translator droid, which is... Yeah. Uh, Which is Russell Brand, yes. Yeah. So, so this is that. this is coming to life. He does this present. We get to the presentations. Kendall does um, what I thought was a very competent um, presentation about how they're going to make a Broadway themed hotel, and he has a song about it. So this hits the bingo card for us with like a half-assed song in a non-musical. <laughs> it does, yeah. Um, I I don't know for this for sure, but I think there's a subtle little joke here in how he's ripped off an idea again. Really. Yeah, because there's a famous Broadway restaurant in New York called Ellen Stardust. Right. Which I went to. Creepy place, I thought. Really? Yeah. <laughs> was it just a restaurant, though? Or was it a no, hotel it, as well? It, it, it wasn't, it, no, it was just a restaurant, this one, in right. fairness. Yeah, but it's just basically failed Broadway actors or ones still hoping for a big break right. are performing songs dancing around you while you try, sat there trying to eat your burger. Right. So And then uh, when like, they gave you a receipt, they had like the bloody tip, suggested tip amount, both highlighted in pink and circled around. Right. And that was the moment I turned around to my friend and I said, I'm not tipping anyone else during this entire holiday. <laughs> Fuck them. <laughs> it's not my fault America's bloody... Wage system's fucked. I don't care. <laughs> oh, you're that guy, are you? I am, yes. Right. Okay. 
we've already planned all of our tips for each day. <laughs> That's how fucking organised you have to be for a Disney holiday. Here's a tip. Save some money. Keep it for yourself. <laughs> it's Disney. They should be paying them properly. I'm not being chased down the street for not paying my tip. No, it should be it chased... has happened. It should be chased down the street instead uh, after you annoy all the uh, people dressed up as Disney characters after you kick another one of them in the balls. I was just about to say the only time I've been chased is after I kicked them, yeah. yeah. Um, so yeah, so Skeeter starts his presentation and because he can't talk... This is not loud and thunder thing, isn't it? Right, so he can't talk very well because he's been robbed by Bobby. So he has to get Russell Brand. Yeah, and doing so notice because it looks so well in Little Nicky. I actually can't tell what you're trying to say. <laughs> because it works so well, because he did a funny voice in Little Nicky. Oh, which tanks that entire film for me. Yeah, so, um, yeah, Russell Brand is able to understand him, so he does translate. And this presentation, compared to Kendall's, is fucking bollocks. Yeah, it's shit. He doesn't actually tell you what the theme is. Basically, he it... he bullshits about escaping the everyday and being imaginative and how going to a hotel shouldn't be about um, trying to make it like home. It should be an experience. But he doesn't fucking elaborate on what the experience should be. No. Everything that he describes a hotel being like is exactly what Kendall was offering with his pitch. Yeah. And it does, did, and you, there's a big pause at the end, and I honestly thought they were going to be like, is that it? Yeah. It's like, are you fucking kidding me? But yeah, but then the Richard Griffiths is just like, brilliant. Yeah, amazing. You win. I was like, fuck How? off. No. How? Absolutely not. It felt like they'd cut half of the speech out or something. Yeah. Like, I was expecting there to him to reference, you know, ancient Greece, westerns. Sci-fi. sci-fi the things that have actually happened in his yeah i legitimately thought the pitch was going to be all those fantasies come to life like and on this floor it's sci-fi and on this floor and whole shtick being like luigi's mansions three yeah <laughs> uh, and the whole uh thing being it's a hotel for kids yeah essentially like let's aim towards families instead of it's like cold business sort of like thing that the Chloe going for in the current yeah. hotel. But it's just like, yeah, imagination. And at this point... Imagine it. Yeah. And at this point, I was like, I hope this is the end of the film. And I would love it for the, to be the end of the film since we're wrapping up. But we've still got 20 fucking minutes left. Well, you've still got to go through all the other bits that are supposed yeah. to happen. We've still not got in love with Jill. Exactly. And then just to add an extra little bit of tension... Uh, we finally get the birthday cake rolling in, which is a volcano cake. Yep, um, lots and of fire. So Sandler panics, blows it out with a fire extinguisher, and... Most of it gets on uh, Uncle Monty's face. Who tells him he's fired. Yes, and he's like, oh, fire. Which I, I thought was actually pretty funny. Oh, yeah, I thought it was a good... <laughs> I thought it was a good little gag. And this is... It had to be at least one. Yeah, uh, this is about the only bit I got wrong in that final 40 minutes. I I thought he wouldn't be fired for some reason. Because you got to get background to the school thing that's going to happen. Yeah. But I thought... I, I also thought after that his pitch was going to be, why have a hotel? Why not have a hotel where you learn? Yeah, or something like that. Yeah, yeah. you know, yeah. But I'm I always, sure about I, as much imagination as he is. I also very. thought, though, it was a really shit, like reason to get fired especially when he's just been promoted to it's very kids film it doesn't have much logic to it like no, you no, could no. totally forgive someone for blowing out your yeah birthday cake like plus you know 
he isn't he supposed to be germophobic? He could have like said, yeah, that fire. Yeah, that would have been good for him. Yeah, if that fire's got SARS in it. And then we get the most, well, not the most, but a quite a confusing conclusion. So Jill's mad with him. The kids are mad with him. I don't get this. But he explains that uh, he had no idea. Yeah, they're all, they're all still mad at him, and I don't get it. No. Surely they should realise, hang on a minute, I know, because they wouldn't know about his big promotion before he got fired. No, that's true. They, they'd have surely realised, well, I know he's got like the family connections to the hotel historically, but he's still the handyman at the end of the day. Yeah. He wouldn't know. They would not tell the handyman top secret plans. Yeah, and then he's packing up his hotel room because he's got to move out of the hotel, and Monica checks in again and basically says, you know, you told... She's she's really mad at him, but not as mad as Jill, apparently. And I'm like, well, you should be just as mad because you've lost your job for the same reason. Yeah. And also, like, she says, the the thing I'm most mad about is you told the kids that there's no such thing as happy endings. Uh, like, oh, fuck off. Like, you've lost your career. That's more important. There is such thing as happy endings, but, you know, you have to go to Nicole's massage for that. <laughs> uh and Nobs. she reveals that she's got a new job in Arizona, so she will be moving out there. Then the narrator, who is his dad, comes back and has a conversation with him, as if, like, that's really normal. Mm. And I can't remember what it was about. I think he was just a bit of a pep talk from his dead dad. More or less, yeah. Because uh, he's... Bingo point, dead dad. Yeah, oh yeah, there we go. Oh, hey, <laughs> did you ever get that bingo board restored? I found it today and reposted it on Twitter. Nice. So yeah. we can go over it after this. We will do. Yes, fantastic. So his dad basically tells him, well, that's not a very good ending. Because yeah. he's lost his job, he's about to move out, everything's fucked. But he says, well, no, do another ending instead. And he's like, okay. So the school's about to be demolished. There and then, suddenly out the blue. They couldn't even wait until the end of school term before doing it. No. Where were these kids going to go for the next day for school? But luckily, they've uh, the locals have uh, organised and they're having a protest, haven't they? Yep. Um, All 30 of them. Yeah. A couple of signs. It turns out that Adam Sandler's gone to the zoning department where Aisha Tyler is in charge. Yes. And so she's able to use red tape to say that the school can't be demolished for years and years and years. And they agree with Uncle Monty that... Um, there's a beachfront property that would work just as well. Yeah, which he wanted all along to point out. Um, but luckily, it's apparently up for sale now. So, Just like that. There's a lot of convenience to this whole sec- section of the film, isn't there? They've run out of time to explain anything logically, so we're just going to go full pelt with it. Yeah. It's like uh, this bit... So now it's a race against time because, you know, we've got to add some excitement in there. Yeah. And then you get this weird, really convoluted thing where Kendall... Because he's there, personally, to demolish the building. Yeah, he, yeah, him personally. Yeah, him personally doing it. And he's like, oh yeah, by the way, there's like radioactive stuff in the detonator, so everyone please turn off your phone. And everyone's like, all okay, the protesters yeah. are like, oh, yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> They all do as they're told, even though they're there to protest. Yeah, where you'd have thought they'd go, no, fuck, fuck you. Here's a second cell phone, not turning it off either. At the same time, the kids have gone into the school for reasons that I couldn't quite remember. And I only watched it half an hour ago. They were... TP in it? No, I can't remember. They were doing something, I guess. Yeah. What we do get to tie back to all of these uh, different bedtime stories is Adam Sandler and, <clears throat> and Jill... Yeah, Jill's there for some reason. Um, they 
uh, get on a motorbike, or nick a motorbike, I should say. Yeah, her Prius gets towed, doesn't it? Yes. For no reason. Yep. Um, so they have to get there on a motorbike that he steals. Yep. And uh, so he races through, and at one point we get this image, quite a natural, nice transition. Yeah. Uh, of uh, between the like the red horse of a Ferrari, I mean, what he's doing. He does a leap over a train at one point, where somehow Rob Schneider's character is riding in it and holding up his wallet at the same time. Yeah. And he manages to get that wallet back. Yeah. Somehow. And they arrive just in the nick of time to smack Kendall in the face. Yes. Um. There was, I got very confused at this point because the reason he steals the motorbike is obviously to race back to the school in time because her Prius has been stolen. Mm-hmm. I got confused and and thought from the edit, I don't know if it was the edit or if it was just I wasn't paying attention, but I thought she basically goes, oh no, my Prius is being towed. I thought he was trying to chase down the people that have stolen the Prius. I thought he'd completely lost the plot. No. no <laughs> I didn't realise he was running to the school. In all fairness, I did say about school, and it was pretty obvious it was being towed away by law enforcement, whoever. They weren't going to go and smash some cops up or anything like that. <laughs> no, the thing that really confused me was this end bit. Yeah. So the idea originally was they turn off all the cell phones so Uncle Monty couldn't call Kendall to call the job off because it yeah. was going to be detonated in 20 minutes yeah. for some reason. Don't know but why Kendall I'm... could have just not answered the phone, but he didn't. Yeah. also he didn't know there was a phone call due, did he? No, he didn't, no. no. And they, so they race across town. Bear in mind Uncle Monty's not with him. And Adam Sandler, he arrives, he flies in, in his motorbike and manages to kick Kendall in the face. And then he makes this proclamation in like the king's voice from like the first yeah. uh, dream, and he says that by decree the school is no longer to be demolished. How come his word holds weight here? <laughs> he's just literally anyone. He's, he's just a stranger, isn't he? He's literally just a stranger to these people, apart from Courtney Cox and the nep- two nephews, obviously. Kicking but, someone in the face gives you a lot of gravitas, obviously. I guess so. <laughs> so suddenly the whole job's called off, which. I know you've got to get to the ending, and it is a Disney film, but I mean, come on. Yeah. Yeah. And then, apparently, for our conclusion, he now owns his own motel that is named after his dad. And I was like, how? <laughs> how? how? If could he have had, done it in the first place. If he had the funds available, he could have done it at any point. And then, yeah, K- Kendall's working for him as the room service bellhop. Why? But yeah, he wouldn't do that, would no. he? No. <laughs> It's just if, for the lols. There's no contractual obligation for him to do that. Like, you know, why would he do that? And then, like a documentary about a serial killer, we get an epilogue where we find out <laughs> where every what happened to every minor character. Yeah. And I was like, who gives a shit? I, I don't. What other film does this? I don't need to know who hooked up with who and where people are now. It will sum me up in a minute. I just want to point this out again. So you know how I keep referring to this receptionist who's a bit cold and hasn't done anything? Yeah. Even though there's a couple of points where she's talked to Kendall and you think, okay, she's conspiring with him. Yeah. That... She'll get involved. She doesn't. No, nope, she, she never does. She only reappears at the end of the film where suddenly she has to clear up Bugs' guinea pig shit. Yeah. It's just like, again. She was apparently his evil sidekick, but we never saw it happen. We're yeah. just told that she is. Yeah. yeah. Well, you know, again... Haha, woman, I guess. Yeah. But yeah, so in this prologue, we find out that 
Um, Violet has now shacked up with Russell Brand's character, and Russell Brand has somehow become the ninth richest man in the whole world. But we're not told how or why. No, we're not told how or why, because Uncle Mont has decided to quit the hotel business and become the a local nurse slash doctor for the school that hasn't been demolished anymore. But all of this is just like, I don't care. I, I really don't care. <laughs> and then the, the final little bit is that then they show a picture of Skeeter being held up like his old panic's been held up by a dinosaur, but that's a, another story. Oh, I didn't even the, notice that bit. I'd, the end. I'd zoned out by then, and then we get "Don't stop believing" for an encore. Oh, no, fuck's sake! <laughs> Just for you. Ugh. And then that is the film. Yes. Before we go any further, I just want to say I'm very sorry. I have an interesting take coming up. Right. Do you want to go first, then? Yeah, I'll go with my interesting take. I'll be honest, I actually quite like the concept for the film. <laughs> I think I said this earlier on. It just hasn't been executed very well here. And the gem I'm going to give in a minute has been subtracted by two from what I would have given it if it wasn't for Adam Sandler. He is just the absolute worst. This is him... <laughs> There's a reason why he only did the one family-friendly film, This Is It, but he went back to his normal shit. Because this is a bit like... Do you remember in like that weird time called 2014 where Seth MacFarlane tried to become a film star? Yes. But it's so inherently unlikable in every single way. Yeah. It never happened. Adam Sun has to have his own film studio in order to get his films made to, to make money because no one else will touch him because he is... So inherently unlikable as a guy, and I don't know why. I guess it's sort of like he's from that sort of like bro sort of comedy, yeah, yeah, just our mates having a laugh sort of thing, and it's just an absolute knobhead, yeah, quite honestly. But if it wasn't for him, and if the script was a bit tighter, I would have quite liked this, I think, just because it instead of going all, all that fantasy. And sometimes it slips up, but I like the idea that they managed to explain everything in reality in some way. Yeah. So. Okay, so my final thoughts, kind of... I kind of agree with you that the concept is there, but I feel like there's so many questions about how and why and when and what's going on. We never really get an, a decent explanation of why things are coming to life. Yeah, they never... have. Like I said, I thought it was an enchanting guinea pig. Maybe it was. We needed something. We needed to see things through. The... You know, you know what we should have done at the end. What? And I would have probably, you know, punched my monitor, but that would have been fine if we had the guinea pig turn to the camera and like his eyes, like sort of like got that glowy sort of magical stars sprinkling in front of it, and then it talked, and it was his dead dad. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Goodbye. Yeah, it was very. It's a very. Interesting concept, but I don't think it was pulled off particularly well. It's one of these things where technically, like like John Carter, it's kind of something you could have on in the background, but then there's just so much misogyny in it, and there's also mm-hmm. the whole uh, really, you know, it, it's not nice towards um, people with dwarfism, it's not nice towards women ever, it's not nice towards Native Americans so it's very problematic on those side of things. Um, 
So it's a really difficult one to know what score to give it. But I mean, I think those aspects, I think it's not the fact that it's aged badly either. I think if I would have seen this in 2008... Yeah, it feels really old, doesn't for, it? For the kids' film in 2008, even then I probably would have thought, mm, that's clearly Adam Sandler showing his darker side, you know, what he truly thinks. Because it's just like casually thrown out there. Oh yeah, woman. Boo. Well, I mean, in one sense, what I was thinking when I was watching it is, um, for this type of comedy, there is a surprisingly high amount of female characters. Yeah. Um, but technically, this film still fails the Bechdel test because they never talk to each other. All the female characters yeah, only talk to Adam Sandler. You're correct. Yeah, even that, though, absolutely. Even though only two of them are romantic leads at any point, mm. every single character, well, every character in the film. All the dialogue goes through Adam Sandler yeah. to somebody else. There is literally the scene in the hotel lobby where Jill and Violet exchange about two lines of dialogue. And it's literally just like, hello, hello. <laughs> Pretty much. And and I think Adam Sandler's name is mentioned, so it doesn't count towards that test either. Yeah. So then. Okay. Gems. Yeah. Shall I go first? Go on then. Uh, I'll give it a five. That's exactly what I've done. Yeah. If it wasn't for Adam Sandler, I might have stretched to a seven. But I've got to go five here because he's just awful. <laughs> so, right, that's just the worst. I, You've basically forced me to watch an Adam Sandler film and it's one of the things I would never do apart from, as I said earlier on, I might watch Uncut Gems, but that's because it's not really uh, a Happy Madison jokes with a lad sort of film like no. the rest of them. Well, to put it into perspective, on this year's leaderboard, um it's right at the bottom with ten points. Yep. Um only just behind the parent trap with eleven. Interestingly, saying about, you know, there's very misogynistic elements, there's very racist elements in this film. When I was trying to do the social media and get it lined up for our John Carter episode, yep. I found that John Carter is not on Disney Plus. Oh, really? Really, which I was very surprised at, because I thought it would be something to have on there as filler, but I would bet good money Bedtime Stories is on there. Mm. And it's very interesting to me how Disney picks what's going to be on the service and not. Like, I would much rather, if I had kids, there's nothing really problematic about John Carter. I'd rather them watch that than this film, which has all of these, these casual... Not nice stuff going on. I wonder if to them, John Carter, it's important to hide away John Carter because it's such an embarrassment. Because he didn't do very well money wise. Yeah, basically. But then that's the whole point of Disney Plus is just throw all of your shit at it and then people either like it or they don't. You'd have thought so, but have a minute, you know, the UK's getting the Mandolin weekly episodes (laughs) for some reason, even though it's all available. Yeah. Uh, in America and on Pirate Bay. And we're definitely not getting The Simpsons either over here. Is that confirming? Yeah, because um, they've been showing all of the... They have a different video for every region in Europe. Yeah. And the video flicks through different images. And every other country in Europe, apart from England, has an image of the Simpsons pink donut, except the British one. Mm. Thanks, Guy. Yeah. Channel 4. So... Eventually they'll get the Simpsons, but I can't... No idea when. It'll be years. Yeah. It'll be years and years, because basically that's Sky One's lifeblood. So... Basically, I'll be downloading it for a week so we can review on this podcast and then I'm not going to bother, I don't think. I think they're waiting to see how well Disney Plus is adopted over here. Because obviously, if if they make enough millions from people 
in the UK, then that'll be the incentive to not renew Sky's contract, I would mm. assume. But obviously Sky must be paying shitloads because it's all they have. <laughs> yeah. Anyway, that was Bedtime Stories. So, whatever our schedule is from here, our next episode will definitely be a special guest. Mm-hmm. So, um, we've got someone uh, from the Disney YouTube community, someone that I've been a fan of for a long time. They also, She also um, co-hosts a brilliant podcast called the TTA Podcast, which if you're into Disney, you should definitely be listening to. Um, it is Christine, a.k.a. Ivy Winter, will be joining us. Um, joining I, you. Well, joining me, yeah, because I, we're recording at a weekend. Yes. Well, say, uh, I already know for when you're recording it, I'm not going to be here, so I'm not yeah. even going to pretend that, I'm, that I am. Sorry. Uh, and at the time of recording, uh, I've no idea what film she's going to pick yet, so that's quite fun. Oh, do we get to pick a film for her? No, I've said, you know, guests get to pick their own. Damn. Oh, I was going right. <laughs> to... What? Because you're not here, you were going to pick something fucking horrible. Yeah. You were going to pick a Tim Allen, were you? <laughs> yeah. The shaggy dog. No. <laughs> right. And this is the point where I would normally ask where uh, you can be found in all your content, but Tony's given us uh, credits now, isn't he? Oh, is he? Yeah, well, he's, fil- he's recording everyone an end credits, so we don't have to do it. I thought that you can find me on Twitter, <laughs> at, at KidsSwall, S-W-O-L. I've even uh, set up a little personal website as well, uh, cmwilson.co.uk, because I'm going to have a go up writing again over the summer. So I thought I'd better... I'd do things arse backwards, get the website set up before I actually write out. Yeah, and a brand new feature for all the uh, shows on the network. Uh, If you stay tuned after our outro, you'll also hear some clips of other shows on the network. And you can also follow Tim at (laughs) TimBorsHRH. And uh, on Instagram at Podwam. Oh no, I think I've got my wrong. Uh, at without a mouse. Right, I'm cutting you off. Uh, no, no, don't cut me. Without a mouse is part of the We Made This Podcast Network. Logo by Chris House. Theme tune by Ether Or. Previously on the We Made This Network Without a Mouse We're joined by a very special guest today He is the voice of Kai in Frozen 1 and 2 He was the co-director of the 2011 Winnie the Pooh movie Director and official Disney villain from Meet the Robinsons And currently working at Disney Television Animation It is Stephen Anderson Hey, how's it going Tim? And what is the show called? The show's called Monsters at Work. It's a, a sequel slash spin-off series of Monsters Incorporated. A 10-episode season that will, uh, as I said, begin sometime in spring of 2021 on Disney+. Plus. Observing the pattern. No one, it took far too long for someone to realize that someone had actually gotten up out of this mess and walked away. Like, I, Oh, I, yes. It, it seems to have taken a long time, like... Quite far into this episode, someone decided time to check video cameras instead of, you know, straight away. Straight away would Wait, be didn't they say there was a problem with the video cameras? Or I could be wrong about that. But yeah, no, yeah, that definitely did take a little bit long. And I felt like Walter and all them, they're a little bit above, you know, typical copy cops. So I feel like they can totally determine that much faster. Oh.
Sinner Mortuary. So the uh, rock out and uh, what I really like is um, is a duper for the uh, dog. Mm-hmm. Um, he he uh, tags out Stevie with a guitar. Not fully, fully kill him, just like swipes the guitar off and shit cans him. Yeah, takes him out of the back of a car, <laughs> fall over. And, like, and Harley in the audience to me like, oh, something's wrong, but never harm anyone. Yeah, like, yeah. You know, he deserves yeah, it. I'm sure he's all right. And he's just lying there like... It'll be fine. Check out all of these shows on the We Made This Podcast Network. <laughs>